Good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Is it okay? All right, let me see. It just takes me a while to get set up. Excuse me for a second. I'm just gonna, okay. <laughs> I'm turning into my dad. Hold on. I'm just, I just need to get everything ready here. Um, uh, so your pastor's gonna try and uh, do uh, some of the PowerPoint myself from up front. So if it goes all haywire today, you could blame me for it. <sighs> How's the summer going? Summer's going okay? Yeah? Okay. I, I just sense a, just this morning a, maybe a low, lower energy, a little bit, yeah? A bit, uh, maybe summer's dragging for some of us a little bit. And uh, it's been a long summer, a full summer, but a long summer. And so I'm actually looking forward to the fall and what God has in in store no (laughs) all the parents are like no some of us are looking for the fall looking forward to the fall Uh, two things I want to welcome those of you that are here for the first time or visiting welcome we're glad that you're here today we're glad that you're here today glad that you're here today we're always glad when folks from our church invite their family and friends and are able to join us. So we're so glad that you're here. I pray that you feel welcome. Secondly, uh, as Emily mentioned, today is a bake sale to raise funds. I actually asked Emily, I said, how much are you hoping to raise? And she was like, oh, maybe a couple hundred dollars for it. And I'm like, what? Like, no, aim higher. Challenge our church to be generous. So I said to her, I said, I'm going to be praying all week that you guys raise a couple thousand dollars. So I'm just going to pray that some of you guys will be led by the Spirit of God to open up your credit cards, okay? Go to the fellowship hall after the service and give generously to this incredibly important cause. The kids have been an amazing blessing to me. You know, the many ways the kids are leading our church in terms of what it means to be people, people of God. Yeah, they really are. They really are. They really, really are. So you should volunteer to serve in Kid City. (laughs) I wish Emily was here to hear that. This is one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. You didn't know that I was going to do this. Yesterday as I sat, Carlton, in the leadership training session and Carlton began with this I was like the Holy Spirit I mean this was this was what I was going to open with first Peter 2 9 you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him called you out of darkness into his wonderless life can we all say this together here we go but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light This passage literally tells us that our lives ought to be a declaration of worship unto our God. That our lives ought to declare, not just through words, but through our mouth, through our words, but through our lives, that our God is big, our God is amazing, our God is merciful, our God is gracious. He is a good, good God. Our lives are to be an act of worship. Amen? Which got me thinking about Beethoven, Symphony Number 5 in C minor. Are you familiar with that? If you're not, do you remember the first couple measures? Can you play that for us? Yeah, it ends right there. I wish, I wish, I wish I could play it for seven minutes, but you guys know I preach long, so I just ended it there. How many of you guys are familiar with that? But did you know that that piece starts with silence? Did you know that Beethoven, when he wrote it, it starts with silence? For, for those of you musicians, you guys know. Can you, next slide, please. Okay, I'm done using this. So I'm... There's an eighth rest 
before the first snow, there's a pause. I, as far as I know, some of you guys might, I don't know why Beethoven did that. I have a guess, though. How many of you guys have ever been to a symphony, a concert? I have. At the beginning, there's people talking to each other. There's people coming in late, trying to find their seats. There's people playing with their programs. There's all kinds of background noise. I'm just wondering if Beethoven put that rest there to say, before the music began. I think we need more eighth rests in our lives. I think for the last 10 weeks, I've been trying to tell you that we need more in the form of solitude, silence, and stillness. Not to do, not to be productive, just to be. Just to commune with our Heavenly Father. Just to... As we see the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus doing this in his entire life, just to pause, just to be constantly in solitude and, and, and silence so that not just his ministry would survive, but thrive. Not just his communion with our Heavenly Father would be the engine that drove all that we did for 10 weeks. We've set this expectation of what our lives would look like if we would pause, if we would rest, if we would just be still and know that he is God. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a declaration of praise unto our God. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want my life, as Paul says in another metaphor, to be a fragrant offering, a beautiful letter unto the world. But I'm realizing you can't do that. I can't do that unless our lives are grounded, centered, and aligned. For the last 10 weeks or so, we have been on this journey of sacred rhythms. Uh, we're going to end this next week. Anybody sad? Anybody else besides me sad that we're ending this sermon series? Anybody? Clap if you are. Clap. Just uh, maybe a uh, smattering of applause. Okay. Okay. We've been, we've been talking about arranging, structuring, aligning our lives around these rhythms. And let's be really clear. These things of silence, solitude, and, and, and stillness, which is so foreign to many of us that grew up in church. These aren't things that we do on top of all these other disciplines. We're talking about things that God wove into the very fabric of how we were wired to live. These are not things that we do along with giving and serving and worship. These are things God says, I fundamentally wove into the very way I created you in a way that you would flourish. The problem is for you and for me, we don't structure, align, and arrange our entire lives around it. Our lives are so random and haphazard. It's like we try and fit these things. I know because I did them for years. We try and fit these moments of solitude and silence into an already disordered, chaotic life. And it doesn't work. Spiritual transformation doesn't happen by accident. It happens when you and I are willing to structure, align our entire life around these rhythms that they become normal, natural, part of our day-to-day -day life. The question is, how badly do you want to be transformed? The question is this, this, how do I want to live so that I can be who I want to be? Let me say it again. How do you want to live so that you can be who you want to be? And in order to do that, I, I must, I must arrange, align my life around these sacred rhythms that God wove into the very fabric of creation. So we talked about solitude, the practice of being absent from people and things in order to tend to God, and silence, the practice of quieting every outer and inner noise in order 
to hear from God. And the point, please, the point is not, did I get something out of it? The point is not, did I, the point is simply to be with God as we are so that intimacy would happen in his presence. The point is not, did I get something out of it, but simply to find ourselves, create a space in which we could be in God's presence as we are and allow God to do the transforming work that only he can do. I have news for you today. The greatest gift you can give to God is not your service. God could find other people to do what you do. The greatest gift that you can give, that only you can give, that no one else sitting here can give to God is your affections. It's your love for God. That is the only thing that you can give to God that nobody else sitting here can give your affections to God. Don't get this twisted. Are you with me? Are you, are you with me this morning? The thing that God desires most from you and me is not what we do for him, but it's our affections for him where we delight in his presence and bask in his glory and say, God, I love you. And it's in that spirit that God gives us the third gift, which is the gift of Sabbath. Here it is, Sabbath. It's the practice. It's the practice of seizing from our work. And I put that in parentheses for 24 hours because many of you are going to sit there and go, that's impossible. The practice of seizing, and we'll talk more about this next week, from our work so that we can rest and delight in God and God's good gifts. My heart is burdened as I stand up here because I am preaching to a group of people who know nothing of this, I include myself, and are here just exhausted. A powerful truth that God gives us this gift to remind us, listen, to remind us that the reason why he created you was not to do. The reason why he created you was not for a job. The reason why he created you was not to be productive. The reason why he created you is so that you would love him with all of your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and your strength. The reason why he created you was not you could buy the lies of our culture that says, you are what you do, you are what you produce, you are what other people say, but to simply be in his presence. To remind yourself, I am not the sum total of what I do, I am not the sum total of what I have, I am not the sum total of what other people say, I am the sum total of what God says. A whole day to remind ourselves of that truth. You know what my prayer has been for you? My prayer has been that these disciplines will become desires, that you would long for it. Is anybody in this room, does anybody in this room know the feeling of so loving solitude that you don't want to leave it? Does anybody know what that's like? Does anybody know what it's like to be in silence before God and so being enraptured by that that you're like, ah, oh, I wish I can be here. Does anybody know what it's like this this room, to look forward to the Sabbath that's coming, to say, ah, I could, I could go through these next five, six days because I know Sabbath is coming, and then say, ah, I can't wait for the next. Do you know what that's like? Because God created you for that. God actually created you and me so that we would work and rest. We would work and rest. We work and rest. And while we're working, we would long for that day of, ah, I delight in this. Ah. Lord, I can't preach to convince anybody of this. So I need your Holy Spirit to do it in Jesus' name. Do you know why this is so hard? You already know this is common sense. Today's kind of an introduction. Some reasons why this is so hard for us. One, maybe job insecurity. Does anybody know what that's like? 
We live in a yeah, somebody raised their hands. We live in a culture, you guys, where college students are graduating from college and can't find a job. We live in a culture where whole departments, if they're not producing, are eliminated overnight. We have a lot of millennials in our church, and sometimes I pick on millennials. This, this morning, my heart goes out to you. I saw this graph. This graph, it's a double whammy. You know what this graph says? Millennials are graduating with the highest amount of student loan debt, and at the same time, the lowest wages. Do you know that wages have fallen 43% for millennials in the last four or five years? As much as my heart was like, Sabbath, my heart is burdened that the millennial folks in our church are like, Pastor Peter, I'm just trying to survive out here. My struggle is real. Income disparity. Next one. What does that mean? We're living a day where people at the top are making 100, 200 times more than the people at the bottom. And the companies expect you to work the hours for the pay. And if you're not willing to do it, there's a line of people right behind you. So you work and you work and you work and you work. And then people at the bottom, of course, are what? Forced to work two, three, four, five jobs just to make ends meet. And then there's this, technology. Jenny and I talk about this all the time. Sometimes, I wonder if anybody relate this, I want to take up my phone and I just want to chuck it against a concrete wall. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I just want to chuck it because, listen, I'm just thinking for me, I am bound to that thing. Because we could work anywhere, now we work everywhere. And I'll talk more about this next week. Technology is not evil, but there is something wrong when I go out to eat and two married couples are staring on their phones doing this instead of communing with each other. Technology. When you're too accessible, you will feel a level of exhaustion to your soul. Next is cultural. Cultural shifts, what do I mean? I, I, you guys know, grew up in Korea, and I'm a little older than some of you to remember my generation. My dad was a teacher, but in the little community that I lived in, my dad wasn't known first and foremost as a teacher. He was husband to Soja, my mom, and father to Sungok, Jiyeon, and Sungwoo, my, my three siblings. In other words, I am that age and culturally where People define their identity, got a sense of worth, from socially prescribed roles. You are a father, a mother, husband, wife, brother, sister. We now live in an age and a culture for the first time that says, no, 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 you don't define yourself by socially prescribed roles. You define yourself by what you want to be, and then you attain it. So there's a reason why you go, is the job lucrative? Is it fulfilling? People didn't ask those questions. But now, there's not a single one of you that walk around going, is this job fulfilling? Is this lucrative? Do you ever wonder why it is so important to you? It's because what? We live in a culture that says you are what you, what? What you do. And so you work, and you work, and you work. You don't have meaning. And then lastly, this is hard because we fail to embrace gift of limits. Can I get an amen? Good Lord Jesus. Good Lord Jesus. There is no way, listen, there is no way you and I will practice Sabbath until you are willing to acknowledge the order of things. Here's the order of things. You are a creature, God is creator. <laughs> you are a creature, God is creator. Order of things. You are not creator. God alone is infinite. I am finite with space, time, and bodily limitations. Can I get an amen? I can't be all things to all people. You cannot be all things to all people. You cannot be at two places at the same time. Why are you trying? Why do you violate and blow through your limits to say, I will not embrace my humanness? Why? It's because you fail to acknowledge that you are just creature. God alone is creator. Oh, 
just looking out at you and my heart is just going, oh, I just want to come out there and hug every one of you right now. I just, just hug you and go, it's okay. Because this is so hard. I mean, for years, I'm almost 50 for years, I thumb my nose at limits in my life. I've told you guys this. I'm like, limits, Sabbath is for retired people. Sabbath is for people who don't have much to do, but for me, and then God got a hold of my attention by doing this. Wayne Muller, book Sabbath, says this. If we do not allow for rhythm of rest in our everyday busy lives, illness will become our Sabbath. Hello, somebody. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. Listen, let me be really clear. Do I believe God creates and God causes it? Absolutely not. That's not the God that I believe. But do I believe that God uses these things to get our attention? Answer, church, is what? I'm going to speak for myself. I am so hard-headed that the only way that God was going to get my attention Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then we follow right past by, and he makes me lie down. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes he makes me lie down in green pastures. We are a culture that is more in need of Sabbath rest than anybody before us, but we have less time for rest than anybody before us. And let's be rigorously honest. We are most emotionally unable to rest than anybody else. We, the American Western culture, have gained the whole world and we forfeited our soul. And because you're so tired, and because I'm so tired, we emotionally shut down. We medicate ourselves. We nurse fantasies. Can I have some good news for you today? Can I tell you some good news? Say yeah, amen if you. God gives us something way better than fantasy for our issues. You know what that is? God gives us the gift of himself. Can I get an amen? Are you ready for these next two weeks? It's going to rock you. It's going to rock your world. I'm just going to pray to God right now. Don't worry about it. God, for folks that are feeling really guilty, overwhelmed, and just like, yeah, help them to be compassionate with themselves. Father, Holy Spirit, help them to be compassionate, to be kind to their soul, not beat them up. Help them to know that your grace and your mercy, your love for them is for them to flourish. So Lord, even though I'm going to shout, even though I'm going to scream, even though I'm going to jump up and down, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you perform spiritual surgery as gentle and yet deep. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 20. Exodus 20. I'm going to flip to my screen. You flip to your phones, your Bibles, whatever you need to do. Exodus 20 is where we begin. This is, of course, the giving of the what? Does anybody know? The Ten, Ten Commandments, in which we find Sabbath, in which we find Sabbath. But I want to take you to the larger context, okay? And then we'll drill down. Again, I'm just laying down some broad foundations. We'll get to the how do I do this, Peter, next week, I promise. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I love that so much. I'm just going to say it again. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. Then we jump to 
the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male nor female servants, nor your animals, nor, oh man, any foreigner residing in your town. Do you know what that word foreigner literally means? Alien. Do you know what alien is? It's the very folks who are trying to get into our country. I just want to pause and stop and say this. In the land of Israel, God says, your care for them will reflect your real true belief about me. I just want to put that out there. They weren't just people, God says, no, 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 they are such a vital part of your community that I want your care for them to equal your care for yourself. And what you do for me? Just, just want to put that out there. And we keep going. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he, say that word with me, ready? Rested on the seventh day. Next, please. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Just real quick, how many of you guys grew up in a culture, church culture, where whoever would pass the family said, keeping your Sabbath holy means you can't go out to eat, you can't go shopping, you can't do anything fun? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Uh, some of us, yeah. yeah. That's a distortion. That's a distortion. When God says, I want you to keep it holy, he didn't mean rules and regulations and all these things that man would add on to it. He was talking about, the Jewish rabbi said, the Sabbath is the most precious gift ever given from the church or house of God. Sabbath was not meant, Sabbath was not meant to be this heavy thing that I have to do. Sabbath was meant to free you, to deliver you, to allow you to flourish. I know you don't believe that. We're going to get there. Three quick observations about this, and then we'll talk about how to do this thing. Number one, this is a commandment. This commandment is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Let's all be honest here. For how many of us do we, come on, come on, come on, let's be real. How many of us really live as if this was a suggestion, not a commandment? Why do we not take this seriously as one of the ten? I have a theory, real quick, theory. One theory is this. I think it's because we think we know better. Here's what I mean. When I sit with somebody who I respect as being authority, who knows better, who knows more, you better believe I absolutely listen to what they say. When I was with somebody who's giving me advice and I'm like, and who are you? I don't listen. I wonder if we, I think it's subconscious. I wonder if we sit there and go, God has absolutely no idea what it's like to work in 2019. God has absolutely no idea what it's like to be a mom of three very, very active little kids. God has no idea what it's like to work for my company. God has, I wonder if we actually do this thing that says God has no idea. Secondly, I think we think it's a suggestion, not a commandment. We don't take this seriously is because we don't trust him. We don't. We don't. Do you really trust that when you take a day and you're not accomplishing, achieving, producing, doing anything, that God is still working for your good and his glory? Do you really trust that without your involvement that God has your future in mind and is working his good plans for that future? Do you really trust that God could take any sin, any wreckage, any mess that we create and create beautiful symphonies out of it? Do you really trust, do you really trust that as you take a day just to delight in God and God's gifts, that God is feeding your family, that God is saved? Do you really trust that God is God? Do you? Second observation about this is this, and this is so important to me. The commandment is not a condition for a relationship with God, but a confirmation of that relationship. The commandment is not a condition for a relationship with God, but a confirmation. What do I mean? I just want to put this out there, and if this resonates with you, clap, amen, do something. These commandments are not given to us so that somehow by doing them, God would go, yay, 
I am so proud of you. I am so pleased with you. These commandments are not given for us to earn favor with God. That's been settled on the cross. Do you know why I read the entire Exodus 20 passage? Look at the context of God giving these commandments. How does it begin? Exodus 20, 20. I am the Lord, your God. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The commandments haven't even been given yet. The Israelites haven't even obeyed them yet. And God says, I am the Lord, your, your God. What is God saying? Gospel right here. Your being in relationship with me has nothing to do with your obedience. Your being in relationship with me has to do with the fact that I initiated, I sought, I delivered, I saved, I did all the work, and all you do is respond to that. Gospel right here. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I am your God. What if I don't obey it? I'm your God. What if I stink at it? I'm your God. What if I mess up? I am your God. What if I sin? I am your God. And oh, by the way, who brought you out of slavery? Israel, question. What did you do to get yourself out of slavery? Israel, question. 400 years of being treated like cattle, being treated like machines, being treated like things. What did you do to get out of Egypt? Answer? I'm going to amen all by myself. Is this good news? You guys, God says, while you were slaves, I heard your cry. God always hears our cry. Can I just put this up? Exodus 3 is one of my favorite The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know they're suffering. I just want to say this for 30 seconds because somebody needs to hear this morning. God sees your suffering. God hears your cry. While they're still in Egypt, doing absolutely nothing but crying out to God, before the commandments are even given and obeyed, God says, I am your God, I'm going to deliver you, which means whether you obey the Ten Commandments or not, whether you obey the Sabbath or not, God will not love you any more than he already does, and God will not love you any less. God will love you is not the gospel, God loves you, period, is the gospel. I'm so glad this resonates with a couple of you. Do you know why? Where do you think the motivation to obey all these commandments comes from? Do you really think that fear, shame, guilt is going to motivate? No. Motivation. The only motivation powerful enough to obey is God loves me in Christ as I am. Why would I not want to live in the way that he wants me to? If that's not your motivation, you will struggle for the rest of your life. Come on, is the gospel real to you? I am your God who delivered you. Darius, I am your God who delivered you. Live in a way that will please me and honor me. Not because I will abandon you if you don't, but because at an infinite cost, I have told you that I will never abandon you is the only motivation that will prompt you to say, I will obey. Third observation. This is not for God. <laughs> it's for us. Please hear me if you're taking notes. We read the Ten Commandments. Says, this is what you have to do. You know what God says to the Ten Commandments? This is who you are. Let me say that again. The Ten Commandments aren't, God says, this is what you have to do. He says, no, this is who you are. The one who created this whole thing, the one who designed this whole thing, says, this is the way to flourish, David Castro. This is the way to life, David Castro. This is the way to freedom and not bondage. By the way, you know, one of the questions that I get irked the most is when people in our culture go, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Don't ask, am I happy? 
Ask, am I free? Am I free? Because if you're not free, I don't care what you do, how much money you spend, where you go, you will never experience that deep-seated, no matter what circumstances, joy. The one who designed this whole thing says what? Freedom comes from honoring your design. One more time. Freedom comes from honoring your design. I have a watch. I'm sorry, I don't have it today for you. It's a beautiful watch I got for engagement. That watch flourishes when I use it in the way that the designer intended, which is to tell correct time. But if I take that watch off and I use it to hammer a nail because I didn't have a hammer and you were handy, the watch will what? Break. It's not honoring the design for which it was created. You don't so much break the Ten Commandments as you break yourself when you violate it. Let me say that again. You do not break the Ten Commandments so much as you break yourself when you violate. Listen, in the short run, of course, people around us get hurt. If you don't rest, you don't take Sabbath, your marriage is going to your marriage is going to be terrible. You're going to be a terrible mother or father. Your relationships are going to stink. All these people around you will get affected, not just if, matter of time, but ultimately the wrong one. The person that gets hurt is who? You. God's laws are not arbitrary. He says, this is how I designed you. On a corporate level, can I just say the following? And if I get myself into trouble, CC, you could tell me. At a corporate level, I wonder what our country would be like if we took God's serious command, do not murder. We live in a culture when people go, God, are you alive? Are you there? Do something. And I feel like God's going, I did do something. I told you to honor the image of God in every human being. I told you to consider sacred every living thing. I've told you to honor my commands to treat each other as I would treat you. And in trampling on my commandments, you are trampling on yourself. This isn't for God. This is for us. This isn't for God. That's settled. That's settled. God will not love you anymore. Love you. This is free. This is free. This is for you. This is for you and your own good and your flourishing and your health and your life. I just, I just have to ask, do you, do you want that? Come on, somebody talk to me. Do you want this? Come on, do you, do, don't you want to live free and to flourish? Don't you want? Forget about where you're at right now. Forget about how I'm doing right now because we have a long way to go. But do you yearn for this? Do you yearn for seven? Rest, just be able to say, <sighs> Exodus 20 is a retelling of the creation story creation story and so that's why I want to take you real quick creation creation story in Genesis chapter 1 God creates something and then he says oh good he creates something and says ah it was good he creates another and says ah it was good six times it creates and then he says it was good he creates and then he says it was good and then it culminates in Genesis 131 and God saw all that he made and it was very good we all just say that with me. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Give me like three minutes to do something here because this is one of the most, this is one of my favorite, favorite passages in all of scripture. A day. When the Bible says day in Hebrew, that's a, 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 a day that measures the creative work of God. A day, creative work of God. In the Hebrew mind, if you're paying attention, when does the day begin? What's that? In the Hebrew mind, a day begins when the sun goes down in the evening. And then it ends when the sun comes up. When does our day begin? <laughs> I'll tell you how my day begins. My alarm clock, 
That's my alarm bell, by the way. And in the dusk, I, I reach for my phone, which is a big problem, by the way. I reach for my phone, and I, you know, blurry eye, kind of just stop, 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 put it back. And I wish I was more holy, and I could say, I reach for my phone, and I get on my knees, and I say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for another day. I don't. I just turn right over, and I snooze, okay, just like you. That's how my day begins. And then when does my day end? I'll tell you my day ends. Well, not when the sun goes down. My day ends way hours past the sun goes down. When I'm frustrated and exhausted at the fact that I have all these things left undone. Can anybody in this room relate to that? In the Hebrew mind, do you know when the day begins? Evening. Do you know when God begins to go to work? when you and I go to sleep. <laughs> see, see, God says, when you go to sleep, God says, I don't get to work. Which means when I sleep, the kingdom, hello somebody, is still advancing. Hello somebody, when I go to sleep, that friend I'm praying for, God's at work, saving, redeeming, healing that person. Hello, somebody. Is anybody awake? When I go to sleep, nothing essential stops. When I go to sleep, God goes, my workday is about to begin without your participation. Water break. Is this good news to anybody? When I go to sleep and all the things I've got that's undone, oh, the phone calls, the emails, all the things, the people that I need to save. When I go to sleep, God goes, hello, Peter, nothing essential stops. Matter of fact, without you accomplishing, producing, doing anything, I am at work in your life. So sleep is not just a necessity, it's an act of faith. How well do you sleep? How well do you sleep? Because if you get this, check this out. You don't go to bed with frustration at all the things that are left undone. You go to sleep with expectancy and hope. Because while I'm sleeping, God is preparing things for me to do. And when I wake up in the morning, first thought is not, what are all the things I need to do? First thought is, God, what are the things that you've prepared for me that I need you to join you in? It is a complete reshifting of mindset. How well do you sleep? God's at work while I'm sleeping. God's at work saving, redeeming, healing. God's at work. God's at work taking care of my family while I'm sleeping. God's at work working on my future while I'm sleeping. God's at work in this church while I'm sleeping. Thank you, Jesus. In Sabbath keeping, we imitate God so that we stop trying to be God. Sabbath is a way of saying, God, I am creature, your creator. I don't meet the needs of my family. Ultimately, you do. I don't meet the needs of the church and community. I don't, God, it's ultimately you. And help me to remember today I'm not God. You are. Church, is this good news to anybody? I'm serious, man. Our ability to sleep at night, it's about faith. It's about faith. Is it you doing it? It's about you doing it? If you and I believe that God is ultimately at work to establish good things for us and his glory, then, then you can relax. If you think it's all up to you, you better get busy. It culminates, Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, this way. By the seventh day, God finished, everybody say finished. Finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let's just talk about rest. And then we're almost done here. What does it mean that God rested? Does it mean that God gets tired? God don't get tired. He's God. Does it mean that God was inactive? See, we equate resting with, I'm not doing anything. Can I just 
Can I just, does anybody know what it's like to be inactive and not do anything but feel exhausted? And paradoxically, be exerting yourself and yet feel like your soul is full. Does anybody know what that's like? Confession time. How many of us ever binge watch Netflix? Don't you feel gross afterwards? Yes? Say, say yes. If you, yes? Yes! Finally, everybody. Like you watch, you binge watch Netflix for like eight hours. I'm not saying I do. Some people do. Yeah, like eight hours. And then, and then I'm serious. You don't walk away and go, whoo, I didn't do anything but binge watch. And I am. No, I feel gross. I feel exhausted. Does anybody know what it's like to go on vacation but need a vacation from a vacation? Because is somebody, somebody like, what? So why is it that we're lounging by the pool doing nothing, but yet we come back, we're like, I need what? And then paradoxically, does anybody know what it's like to give like 10 hours for a cause you believe in? And you walk away going, I could do that again. What does it mean that God rested? Come on, come on, guys, stay with me. What does it mean that God rested if it's that God isn't inactive? Jesus even says in John 5, we'll look at this next week, he's talking about the Sabbath and doing work on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees accuse him, and he says, my father is always, everybody say always, always, everybody say always, always work to this day, and I too am working. What does it mean? Here's the thing about God. Please, 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 don't miss this. The thing about God is he's always working, and yet he's also completely at rest. God is always working, and yet he's completely at rest. How? To rest is to look at your work and to say, there is nothing else that needs to be done. I am completely and utterly satisfied. I'm good. Problem is, you and I are never completely and utterly satisfied with our work. So we can't. us that says, I could do what I, and we can't just walk away. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? See, the author of Hebrews is talking about rest, and he gets to, he gets to, he gets to this dynamic. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, he says what? Therefore, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. Everybody say work. Work. Just as God did from his. And the next verse, it says, therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest. Throughout the New Testament, you find this phrase, the works of the law, the works of the law, the works of the law, the works of the law. Whenever the New Testament authors talks about the works of the law, think a courtroom. Think arena of courtroom. The works of the law that the New Testament is talking about is your effort, my effort, your striving, my striving to get a verdict that says, I am living up to some standard and I'm approved by God and I'm approved by others. The work is to hear someone say to you, it's good, it's very good. You came in here this week, the whole week wanting to hear that verdict as a mom. Please, somebody tell me, I'm a good mom. You're good, you're very good in your company. Well, please, somebody tell me. Somebody, please tell me. I'm doing a good job. You're good. You're very good. 
I will walk out of here today after this and I will have that thing that says, please somebody tell me that I did good. Does somebody tell me that I preached a good sermon, that I'm a good pastor. Every single one of us has this thing that says, please, I need a verdict. I need a verdict. I need a verdict. And what the author of Hebrews, what the Bible is saying is it's not just work. It's not just work. It's not just work, the external job that we do. There's the internal work underneath the work. There's a work underneath the work, the work for that verdict, affirmation, to prove myself. I know I have worth. I know I'm somebody. I know I'm okay. That's why we're so tired. That's why you're so tired. It's not just work up here, you guys. It's the work down here that says, I want a verdict, I want a verdict, I want a verdict. Every couple of years, I give this illustration of Chariots of Fire, which is about the Sabbath. Harold Abrams, world-class sprinter, 100 meters, his entire life motto. He says it in the movie, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Then there's Eric Little, who says, the race that I'm the best at is on a Sunday, and I'm going to honor the Sabbath. Not for legalistic reasons, he says, there's something more important for me. And at the end of the movie, here's the irony. Harold Abrams has a gold medal around his neck, but he's tired. And Eric Little is at rest, even though it cost him a gold medal. Whose affirmation are you after? Whose verdict are you after? For weeks, we talked about wearing masks. Why do you do that? Why do I do that? Why do I wear the mask? I'm what I do. I'm what I have. I'm what other people. Why do we do that? Because it's about the verdict. It's about the verdict. It's the work underneath the work. It's about, please, somebody. But you and I both know. Can I just ask, does the verdict from people ever, ever, ever satisfy that longing? It's like a short spoon in a tall glass. It'll never get to the bottom of that. Because the only person that could meet that is the person who created that, and that is God himself. Be rigorously honest this morning. Be rigorously, please, don't, don't. Lord, I can't do this. You need to, don't do the whole, yeah, I'm just. Whose verdict are you after? Sabbath was given to save us from ourselves and point us to the true source of rest. Who is that, church? Now you minister unto me. Who is that that we need to look towards to? Say it, come on. Come on, say it like you mean it. Who is that? Jesus, because centuries later, he says, come to me. Everybody who's weary and burdened, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Oh, 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 oh. Don't walk out of here and saying, I have no other thing that I serve. I'm not after anybody's verdict. I am not yoked to anybody. Have no other gods. He's assuming you have somebody that you're yoked under. There is somebody, something that you're yoked under. And God says the choice is not, I am yoked to God or nothing. You're either yoked to Jesus or some other thing that will drive you as your master. Why would you choose that? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is this good news to anybody? Anybody? 
In Genesis 2, God finishes creation. He says, it is finished. It's all done. And he had completed the act of creation. Centuries later, same God is hanging on the cross. And he says what? It is what? Finished. It's all done. And he had completed the work of salvation. The same Jesus that cried out, it is finished in Genesis 2. The same Jesus that cries out, it is finished at the end of his life. And my question to you, and my question to you is, is that real to you? Because if it's not, you will walk out of here. And when the alarm goes tomorrow morning, your work is not the thing that'll trip you. It's the work that says, I'm a good mom, right? I'm a good dad, right? I'm a good pastor, right? I'm a good brother. I'm a good sister. I'm a good worker. I'm a good company man. I'm a good teacher. I'm a good doctor. I'm a good somebody. Please tell me. And that work, my child of God, is never done. Until his approval is the only approval that matters to you. Until his significance, and to be significant in his eyes is the only thing that matters to you. Until you could rest in the finished work of Christ and saying, it's done. Of course there's more to do. Of course I'm not quite satisfied. But you know what? My identity, my worth, and significance is not in that. It's in him. And so I'm going to walk away. The most mature in Jesus are not those who are working the hardest for him, but those who are resting the best in him. Let me say that one more time. The most mature in Jesus are not those working the hardest for him, but those resting the best. Sabbath rest. It's finished. Close your eyes. Pray with me. Oh, man. I wish you knew that right now. My, my, my heart feels like it's going to rip out of my chest, not just because I'm excited, but because I'm burdened for you. I'm burdened for some of you that are literally so exhausted and so tired. And you know you can't just keep going, but you are telling yourself this lie that if you just ignore it, live in denial about it, and just plow through, you can make it. Whose verdict are you after? What verdict are you after? Can you be honest about that this morning? There's no change without rigorous honesty to name it. Name it. So if you can this morning, in the quietness of your own heart, and I'm not going to have you stand, raise your hands as you're sitting, say, God, the truth is I'm resting in what is that blank and not you? Can you name that? God, I'm resting in what I do. God, I'm resting in what people say. God, I'm resting in my job. God, I'm resting in being a teacher that teaches in a rough neighborhood. God, I'm resting in being a doctor. I'm resting. I'm resting 
And then say, I want you to be my trust. I need you, Jesus, to be my Sabbath rest.